Welcome everyone to Easter at HCC at home. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Brian. I am so excited this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, We're going to do a little bit of a different order for our service today. We're going to start with the message and then we're going to do the worship after the message and then we're going to end with communion today. And communion today is going to be so much fun. It's going to be awesome. Um, Don't worry if you don't have grape juice or, or... communion crackers or whatever, we're going to talk about that. You're going to use whatever you have available, and we're going to do it as a family. We're going to do it together. Again, I am so, so excited that you're here. I'm so thankful that you're joining us because today is Easter. Today is the biggest day for our celebration, and we are so excited because he is risen. You did it, didn't you? You did. You did. You said he is risen indeed. Now, if you didn't, we do question your Christianity just a tiny bit. It's okay. Now, if you're not, if you're not a believer, you're new to this church thing, I'm, I was in the same boat uh, when I was growing up. Um, so the thing is, the pastor says he is risen. The whole church says he is risen indeed. It's not cultish, I promise. It's not. It's actually pretty cool once you get to know how it works. For example, here's the other one. If you're not a Christian, it's okay. God is good and all the time. Yeah, you did it. The whole, every Christian, see, if, if we were together, it would have been real cool, but you did it at your home, so it's fine. And it's, God is good all the time. And I say all the time, and you respond, God is good. Again, it's not a cult thing, I promise, I promise. It's a church thing, and it's really, really cool when you get to join in with all the different believers that are celebrating the same thing this morning. We're celebrating this morning that Jesus rose from the grave, a man who was dead, Again, he was dead. See, we, 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 like, we, celebrate, we celebrate Easter because he was risen, but we don't take the time all the time to remember that Jesus was deceased, dead, buried, dead. I'm going to say it over and over and over because without the death, the resurrection doesn't matter. He didn't swoon. That's a theory that Jesus like kind of passed out and they thought he was dead and he wasn't. No, they stabbed him in the side. He was definitely dead. Um, The other theory is like um, that uh, it was a different person on the cross. No, everyone would have known who Jesus was and it was Jesus who was buried because he was dead, but not this morning. Not this morning. Jesus is alive. He is risen and we are here to celebrate that. And we're going to do that by looking at a story found in John chapter 21. This is a story that we find after Jesus has resurrected from the grave, and we're going to look at it in John chapter 21. So as you're turning there, I'm going to pray for us this morning, and we're going to jump right in. So if you join me in prayer, Father God, thank you so much for what we are celebrating today. God, thank you so much that you provided a way for us to be made right with you that you made a connection between us and you, that that you bought us with a price and that price was the life of your son who wasn't murdered but sacrificed himself for us, who sacrificed himself for us so that we could be made right with you, that we could experience your love 
and your grace and your compassion. And this morning, I pray that for all of us who have said yes to you, that we would, would celebrate that, that we would be so excited this morning to celebrate who you are, to celebrate that you, you did exactly what you said you were gonna do, and you are exactly who you said you are, that Jesus is the Son of God. And God, for anyone listening this morning that, that, is, that is questioning what Christianity is all about, or is just tuning in because it's Easter and that's what we do on Easter, God, I pray that this morning you, you challenge them, that your spirit would move in their hearts, that people this morning across the United States across the world, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus this morning, that people across the world would place their faith in you, would place their trust in you, would devote their lives to you so that we may spend eternity with you in the presence of the God who loves us uncontrollably. And God, this morning, give me the right words to speak. Give power to the simple message that, that, I've, that I'm about to give. And God, take these simple words and do amazing things with them. God, give us ears to hear, hearts that are ready to be molded, feet that are ready to be moved to action. And God, as always, anything that I say that's from me and my imagination, let it be forgotten before anyone turns off their computer. And God, everything that's from you, let it stick forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Men. So I hope you're in John chapter 21. Um, it's gonna be up on the screen for you, so if you don't have a Bible or you don't wanna go grab yours, that's totally fine. Here we go. We're gonna read 14 verses. It's a little lengthy, but it's okay. We'll get through it. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, also the Sea of Galilee. So if you're familiar with um, the 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 context of where the Sea of Galilee is. It's also called the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's John and James, and two, other, two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. So they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, by the way. John, who writes the Gospel of John, traditionally refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. That's one of the reasons I love John. He's amazing. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire, in, charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. 
Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is a, an amazing story with a lot of detail and we're gonna look at quite a bit of it. Um, but we're gonna look at first, so it says this is the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples. We're gonna look at the first two real quick. In John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, we see a story where the disciples were um, essentially really, really scared. Excuse me. They were really, really scared because Jesus had been arrested, had been crucified, was buried, and they were sure, just absolutely sure, that the Jews of the area were gonna come and arrest them and crucify them as well. So they gathered all in one room and locked the door, and the Bible tells us that Jesus appears in their midst. Now, if the door's locked, Jesus kind of had to walk through a wall or just appear, but nonetheless, they were freaked out, as you and I probably would be. If I'm here doing this video for you guys and Jesus appears, I think I would be freaked out, and I think that's appropriate to be freaked out when someone who wasn't there is now there. And so that's the first time he um, appeared to the disciples. And the second one is found in John 20, verses 26 through 29. And this one's real famous in Christian circles. This one's really famous in Christian circles. And if you've grown up in church or been to church much at all, you know this story. There's this guy named Thomas. And he's been given the name Doubting Thomas, which I think is completely inaccurate. He's the only one who was being honest. So Thomas was not at the first appearing. Thomas had not seen Jesus up to this point. The last thing he knew of Jesus was that Jesus was dead. Jesus was dead. They had buried him. We're moving on. The whole plan of what we were going to do is not happening. We thought he was God. He can't be God because he's dead. And now his friends are saying, Thomas, bro, like, I'm serious. I saw Jesus. He appeared to us. We were in this room. The door was locked. And he just, he, boom, he was there. And Thomas is like, uh, time out. We need a full time out here. And this is what he says. Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails, and I love this, ready? <laughs> and place my finger into the nail marks. So unless I see that he has holes in his hand and I can put my finger in there and twirl it around some, I'm not gonna believe. Nope. And then, uh, and, but more than that, the, where they stabbed him in the side, I wanna like put my hand in there. And he goes, and unless I see that, I will never believe. Now, eight days pass, between that statement and when um, Jesus appears to Thomas. And I don't know, if I was Jesus, I would walk up to Thomas and be like, you wanna? Go for it. Like, it's just, you can, you can see through it. Like, you can put your whole finger. And Thomas is like, no, I'm cool. It's cool, I'm sorry. But Thomas gets this, this idea that, that he's doubting. I think he's the only one honest. Because if we're gonna be honest, if your friends came to you and said, hey, the guy we've been following around for three years who he said he was God, and, and then they arrested him, beat him, and then crucified him, and we saw him die, like it was from a distance because we were all scared, but we know he died, and we know they buried him, and he's been in there for three days, but I, he, he's back, he's back, bro, I saw him. If we're gonna be honest, we're gonna be just like Thomas. We're gonna be exactly like Thomas, like, ah, uh, no, I'm gonna need some more information. I'm gonna need some more uh, details. And in fact, I'm gonna need it to happen to me. I'm gonna need to see him with my own eyes. And Jesus says, blessed are you for believing, but so much more blessed are those who believe without ever seeing. And that's all of us. None of us have seen the literal, physical, tangible Jesus in our lives, 
but for all of us who have said yes to Jesus, all of us who believe, we have had some moment in our life where Jesus was so real to us, it was as if he was there. Now, we don't know exactly how long it was between this story here in John 20 and this fishing story that we just read because Jesus spent 40 days from the time he was resurrected to the time he ascended back into heaven. He spent 40 days interacting with different people. And so we don't know exactly the time frame, but we know based on this story that these guys weren't really sure what was going on. They had a plan. They really thought that Jesus was the son of God and now he's back, so he's definitely gotta be the son of God, but we're not doing much. And so Peter, being Peter, says, I'm going fishing. And what he does here when he says, I'm going fishing, is he's kind of making a twofold statement. There's two reasons that Peter would have gone back to fishing. One, it was his form of relaxation. Peter was a, a commercial fisherman before Jesus called him to follow himself. Um, and we'll look at that story here in a little bit in Luke chapter five. Um, but it was a way for Peter to relax. Peter was stressing out because Peter was uh, probably the oldest of the disciples, was probably the kind of the, the secondary leader apart from Jesus. Of course, everyone was following Jesus, but Peter probably organized the other 11. Now there's 10 because Judas betrayed Jesus and that had already happened and now he's, he's gone, he'd committed suicide. Um, and Peter, I think, needed some time to clear his head. He needed some time to figure out, all right, so Jesus has come back to us. We've seen him. Um, I ran to his tomb and the tomb was empty. Peter knows that he's seen the empty tomb. And he appeared to us in the room where all of us were there and then he appeared to Thomas and that was really awkward with Thomas, but we figured that out. And now I don't know what's going on. And the second reason that they probably wanted to go fishing is they probably needed some money. Jesus had done a really great job of when they, were, when they were following Jesus, he was taking care of all their needs and there's a couple stories where he fed 5,000 people at one point and then 4,000 people at another one and that's just men, that's not including women and children and so they were always taken care of and then all of a sudden Jesus is gone. Well, now he's back, he's resurrected, he's, we've seen him, he's gotta be God but we're not doing anything. We don't have marching orders, we don't know what we're supposed to do I need some money. And the way I know how to make money is I'm gonna go fishing. Him and some of the other disciples, they, they join him in the boat. And I gotta think, like I've told you guys a lot of times, I, I try and put myself in the middle of the story. And so I put myself as Peter in this story and I'm thinking how excited I would be, how excited I would be that Jesus was no longer dead, that he was alive and I've seen him and he had the scars and the marks from the crucifixion and and he was Jesus, and he's alive now. He was dead. I, I know he was dead, and John was there at the cross and saw him breathe his last, and he's told us, I promise you guys, he died, and, and now we've seen him alive, and I think a lot of us on Easter are that same way. Easter is so amazing, and it's so wonderful, and it's, it's a time of celebration, but by about Tuesday, we're like, yeah, but now what? And Peter's in the same boat. And so I put myself, uh, same boat, he's in a boat fishing. I didn't even catch that one. And so now he's in this boat doing what he loves. And I gotta think, they're not catching anything. The story tells us they spent the whole night not catching anything, which that's boring. Uh, and so he's got a lot of time to think. And I think Peter's probably thinking, now what? 
now what? Is, is Jesus going to set up his kingdom? Because a lot of the disciples, probably all, most, if not all, thought that Jesus was going to set up a physical kingdom here on earth. That Jesus came back from the dead, he is God, we don't have a lot of people, but if we've got God on our side, we can march to Rome and we can take over Rome, we can free Israel and we can get our land back. But we're not. We're not doing anything. I don't know what's going on. And I gotta think, Peter was thinking, what, what do people think about me? What do people think about me? Am I, am I a joke? Do people, are people embarrassed by me? Are they laughing at me? I, I devoted my life to this guy and, and yeah, he's resurrected. Awesome, great. But we're not doing anything. How am I going to eat? I, I don't have a job anymore. This is what I did. And, and I, I clearly I'm not any good at that after three years because I spent all night fishing and I can't catch anything. He's probably thinking about some really practical things. And I want you to notice, Jesus encounters them when they're thinking about some really practical things. And he tells them to cast their net on the right side of the boat. Now, if they're commercial fishermen, if Peter's a commercial fisherman, he's got to be pretty desperate to take some random guy's suggestion who's sitting on the shore. Because at this point in the story, they didn't recognize it was Jesus. We don't know why. It says they're 100 yards off. Maybe there are a lot of people who look like Jesus. I don't know. Maybe they didn't recognize his voice. Who knows? But they decide to throw their net where this guy says to throw their net. And they pull in 153 fish. And I think that's important that John writes down the number. Because this is one of those moments that can get bigger and bigger and bigger the longer and longer. Remember the time we caught 153 fish? And then like the next time, oh, remember when Jesus gave us 200 fish? It's kind of how most youth pastors count students. Well, how many, do you got, how many students do you have in your student ministry? Well, we had, we've got 70. Well, that means like one time at a special event you had 70 and normally you've got about 45. That's what, that's what John is making sure doesn't happen. There were 153 fish caught. Now, I've done way too much research on these 153 fish. This would have been a career-defining moment for these guys. They had gone all night without catching anything, and now all of a sudden, they have got 153 large fish. Not like these tiny little things that you throw back. No, these were large fish. It would have made these guys legends. I, I, I can't express it enough, but, but when they brought those 153 fish to the buyers, because that's what would happen. They would catch the fish, they would bring them in, and they would sell them to the buyers. The buyers would take them and, and sell them um, to different places, to different people. There was, they were, there was the people who caught the fish, and then there was the middleman who then sold the fish. When they brought these 153, the, they would never have believed that they caught them at one time. Not possible would not have happened. The, when they brought the 153 fish, people would have like not had words to describe it. They would have assumed they were lying when they said that it was one boat, one boat, one net caught 153 fish. And this is a, a life-changing catch. And it would have been one of those like men for decades would have talked about this catch. 
Peter and his crew would have never had to worry about getting another job ever. They could have gone down to those docks. They could have looking, looking for a job and said, what's your resume? Remember that catch where, where that group got 153? Yeah, that's me. That's me. I'm the guy who led the group that caught 153 fish. And they would have been like, you're hired. You and your crew is hired. Men would have sat around on rocking chairs for decades being like, remember that time that, 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 that Peter and his crew caught 153 fish? Dude, no one's ever caught 153 fish. That's impossible. Nuh-uh. My grandpa said that Peter, he bought them. My grandpa, he bought them from Peter. It's 153 fish. It was real. I promise. I was there. Well, I wasn't there. My grandpa was real. You know how stories go. And what is this life-changing catch? But if you notice in the story, it's an afterthought. It, It amazes me that in the story, it says that they, they, that of course, Peter throws himself into the water, swims, um, kind of looks ridiculous. We'll get there in a little bit. The other guys get there on the boat. They're sitting around with Jesus. He's already got fish on the fire and he tells them, hey, go get, go get the fish that I caught for you. And Peter's like, oh yeah, we forgot. And like he gets up and he goes to the boat to get the fish. And I can't help but, but really get stuck there for a moment. There's 153 fish, which is a completely life-changing moment, and they forget about it. They forget about it because in this moment, their career, this moment that changes the trajectory of their career and their life, pales in comparison to sitting with the resurrected Jesus. We have to catch that. We have to notice that that these guys who just a, a, a few minutes ago were probably wondering, what am I gonna do about my career? What am I gonna do about my job? I don't know what I'm gonna do. Caught 153 fish, and I don't even think about it. They're sitting there with Jesus, no one's talking, and Jesus is like, hey guys, you should probably go get those fish. And Peter's like, oh yeah, that, that I forgot. Because when we put the resurrection of Jesus in the right frame of being, in the right frame of mind, and we put it in its right context, nothing else matters. Nothing else compares to sitting with the resurrected Jesus. And I I understand fish, for most of us, it doesn't match our context. I I text someone just recently um, asking about a context because we've got a lot of farmers in our church. And so I said, um, I don't know anything about farming, forgive me. So I asked. And uh, I said, what is the average um, bushels per acre that you can get out of corn? And he said it was 200 to 250. 200 to 250 bushels per acre. And uh, then I said, okay, well, um, what's like the most you could ever get? Like, what is this ridiculous amount that if someone told you, you'd find it hard to believe? And he said that one time there was like, I think this competition and somebody got 500 bushels. That's essentially what this is. That you've got, you've got twice as much corn per acre as you ever thought you could have. And you just leave it in the field so you can sit and have some breakfast with Jesus. If you're in real estate, it's like you sell five houses a month and all of a sudden you sell 25 houses in that month and you don't even collect the paycheck. You're just sitting with Jesus. Whatever context you need it to be and think about what would be that career-defining, career 
the, the trajectory of your career would only go up from there because once people heard that that happened to you, everyone would want to be around you. Everyone would want to hire you. You'd be like the spokesperson. You'd be at all these seminars. What is it for you? Because that's what these guys left behind and completely forgot about just so they could have some breakfast with Jesus. And we have to remind ourselves not long before this moment, the man sitting there with the fish and the fire on the beach was dead. And now he's not. We can, they could touch him. They could hug him. They could hear his voice. And I also want you to notice, he doesn't need their fish. He has his own. It says that when they got to the fire, Jesus was already cooking some fish. He doesn't need anything from them. The 153 fish was just for them. It's his way of saying, I got you. Don't worry. I got you. I've got it all under control. You're going to be okay. I promise. And he answers some really practical questions for his disciples when they needed it most. Now, I want to look at another fishing story. I want to look at another fishing story found in Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, turn there real quick. Um, It's... Matthew, Mark, Luke, one, sorry, one gospel back, one book of the Bible uh, towards the front of your Bible, Luke chapter five. This is at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. Um, The story we saw in John 21 is at the very end of his ministry, right before he's getting ready to go back up into heaven. This is at the very beginning. Luke chapter five also involves a guy named Peter. Not a guy named Peter, the same Peter. There's not two, there's just one. Here we go, Luke chapter five. So he's getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. He asked him, oh, sorry, Simon is Peter. Peter is Simon. Simon, Peter, two names, one guy, interchangeable. Also called Cephas. We're not sure why, but Simon, Peter. He asked him to put down a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So this is before Jesus had really called any of the 12 disciples, and he is speaking to this crowd, and the crowd is pushing him and crowding in as crowds do, and he's on the beach, and he goes, wait, it'd be easier for me if I got out into a boat just a little ways offshore, and I can speak loudly, and the water will help it carry to the people, and they'll all hear me. And so he gets into Peter's boat, and they go a little bit off land, and he tells these guys, the crowd, he tells them uh, lessons and teaches them. And it says, and when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Very similar story. But at your word, I will let down your nets. Now he had just heard Jesus speak. Jesus was probably a very engaging speaker, a, a, a clearly a knowledgeable rabbi. And so he does what he says. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And so they came and filled both the boats and so that they both began to sink. So much fish, so much weight, they both began to sink. But notice Peter's statement here. But when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now in this moment, Peter understands there's something different about this Jesus. And Peter was the first to understand that Jesus was the Son of God. We see that. um, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they give a bunch of different answers. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? 
And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter was the first one to understand who Jesus was, and I think in this moment, he was beginning to understand that there was something divine, something amazing about Jesus, but look at his response. Depart from me, get away from me, you're too good, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough, I'm a sinful man, I can't earn this, I don't deserve it, you don't know me. When we start understanding who Jesus is, he can be so big, he can be so powerful that we think we're not good enough. We think we're not good enough. We think that we have too much baggage. Jesus, you don't know me. You don't know what I was doing. I hear people say all the time, like I invite them to church. Oh man, if I went into church, that place would burn to the ground. You don't know what I was doing Saturday night. And I'm like, I don't, but Jesus does and he still wants you there. But what we have, we have this idea that church and Christianity is about a list of do's and don'ts and cans and can'ts and all these rules and that's how Peter had been taught to relate to God through the law was I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. Now, fast forward three years and we see Peter throw himself into the water. Notice, it doesn't say he dove. It doesn't say he politely dove or lightly jumped. No, he grabbed his, his clothes, put them on, and leapt into the water looking absolutely ridiculous. And he swims with all of his clothes on, which had to look awkward, but he had to get closer to Jesus. Three years First one, get away from me. You're too good. You've done too much for me. I can't be near you. Three years later, I've got to get closer to him. I've got to get near him. And some of you are saying, yeah, but, but Peter's a follower of Jesus. He'd been following him for three years. He must have been a good guy by now. What you have to remember is right before the, the crucifixion of Jesus, before he was arrested, they were all gathered together and Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going you're gonna to deny even knowing me three times. And Peter's like, I will never, because he was kind of a loud mouth, kind of braggadocious. And he said, I'll never, never will I. Jesus is arrested and someone's like, hey, aren't you a Jesus follower? He's like, no, no, I don't, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Nope, nope. And then the second time someone asks, he's like, I don't know that guy. And then the third time, a girl by a campfire says, I thought I saw you with Jesus. And he curses this young lady. He curses at her, calls down curses on her, and says, I didn't even know him. That's the last interaction that Peter had with Jesus. Now, it hadn't been dealt with yet. Jesus will deal with that at the end of uh, chapter 21 here. But Peter had not been reconciled back to Jesus. The last thing that he had done to Jesus was deny even knowing him. This is what the resurrection of Jesus does. This is what Easter does for us if we put it in its right frame, if we put it in its right priority, if we put it where it needs to go. That it's not about you. It's about this Jesus who predicted his arrest, his trial, his death, and his resurrection and pulled off all of it. He's the only person in history who said, they're gonna arrest me, they're gonna kill me, I'm gonna die, but don't worry, three days later I'm coming back. And then he does it. He does it. He was dead. He was buried. 
His heart wasn't beating. His brain was not functioning. His blood was not circulating. He was dead. And now he's standing on the shore. And when Peter recognizes it's Jesus, he has to get closer to him because the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It completely changes everything. It was no longer about him. It was no longer about his job or his money or his career or his failures or his successes. It was all about Jesus. And that's what Easter is. That's what Christianity is. That's what church is. It's not a self-help strategy. It's not a good set of moral standards. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a church. It's not a denomination. It's not a quality of life like, oh, God's going to take care of me. He gave me 153 fish. Now I'm going to place my faith in him. Remember, Peter forgot about the fish. He was sitting there in the presence of his Savior, and he forgot this life-changing amount of fish that was sitting on the boat. Because it's not about any of that. It's not about God taking care of you. It's not about him being your Santa Claus. It's about Jesus. The whole thing centers around Jesus. All of Christianity centers around this moment that we're celebrating this morning. That God loved the world so much, that he loved you, he loved me so much, that he sent his son to the earth The book of John, I think it's in the Passion Translation, says that Jesus came to earth, that God put on flesh and bone and moved into the neighborhood. He walked this earth with us. He was perfect. He was holy. He was without flaw, without sin, without error. And then he chose to sacrifice himself for us. He was not murdered. You have to hear me very clearly. No one murdered Jesus. He sacrificed himself and he did it so that we could be made right with God. The Bible tells us that God gave Jesus and it says that he gave him who knew no sin, that Jesus had never sinned, never erred. He gave him who knew no sin to become sin. That it's, a, it's a fancy word, it's called imputed, that, that God took all of my sin. He took all of the wrong and the error that I had done, am doing, and will do all of your sin, everything that you had done, are doing, and will do. He took the sin of the entire world and he placed it on Jesus. And Jesus became sin. And when they nailed him to the cross, God defeated sin by a perfect sacrifice, a sacrifice that would be for eternity, that for everyone, that whosoever would place their faith in Jesus, would believe that he is the son of God, that he came to earth, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, and three days later he was resurrected, and because of that I can be made right with God, that whosoever believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord shall be saved. It is so much bigger than anything else that has ever happened in the history of the world. Time itself turns on Jesus. It's about Jesus. And this morning, if you've grown up in church, we can get some really messed up thoughts when the longer we're in church sometimes that it's about rules and it's about regulations and about do's and don'ts and cans and can'ts. But the centrality, the center focus of all of Christianity is the person of Jesus. 
who loves you more than you'll ever understand, who accepts you exactly as you are, who gives you grace and gives you purpose and gives you a a destiny, a plan for your life. He has things for you to do and a purpose for you living on this planet. And my hope is that this morning, you can see in the life of Peter what it looks like to live Christianity or live with God based on you, that you're not good enough because the longer that you keep Christianity based on you, you'll never be good enough. But the moment that we transfer the focus, we transfer the emphasis of Christianity back on where it's supposed to be, to the person of Jesus. It's no longer about us. It's about him. It's about his grace. It's about his love. It's about his sacrifice. And this morning on Easter, it's about his resurrection, his defeat of death, his defeat of the grave, his defeat of sin. And through that, we can have life and life more abundantly. And so this morning, my prayer all week, my prayer all year leading up to Easter, I pray this almost every day, especially looking towards Easter. God help those who don't know you to find you. And here's what's amazing in this story. These guys didn't find Jesus. He found them. And this morning, you thought you were just tuning in to watch a pastor on a screen, to do the Easter thing. But this morning, God found you. And God is telling you it's not about you. It's not about your sin. It's not about your wrong. It's not about your attitude. It's not about your addiction. It's not about any of those things. It's about Jesus. And when you say yes to Jesus, everything can change. Everything can change. And how do I know that? How can I be so confident in that statement? Because April 8th of 2001, I came to church, a drug addict, alcoholic young man, and left that afternoon free of all of those addictions. Because for the first time in my life, it wasn't about me. It was completely and totally about Jesus, who defeated death, resurrected on this day so that you can be made right with your God. And this morning, I hope that happens. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for what today represents. Thank you so much for everything that you have done for us, that you have given us a way to be made right with you, to be made whole, to, to have purpose, God, this morning, I pray that anyone who is listening to this, this message who does not know you would understand today that by placing their faith in you, that by believing that Jesus is their Savior, is God in the flesh, died on the cross, resurrected, and through that they can have eternal life when they make you their Lord, when they, when they decide to place their faith in you, that they are saved from their sin, they're saved from death, and they will spend eternity in the presence of love itself. God, this morning, I pray that anyone who, who would like to believe that right now would, would repeat after me. 
God, thank you so much. Thank you that you sent Jesus. That you sent Jesus to die for my sins. Thank you that through Jesus, I can have life. I am free from my sin. Help me to love you. Help me to serve you. Help me to love others. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, no, it's, it's not the prayer that saves you. That prayer is not super spiritual or magical. It's simply you confessing with your mouth what you believed in your heart this morning that Jesus is Lord and that he is the central focus and purpose of your life. And this morning, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, please contact the church office at the email address at the bottom of the screen or the phone number. We would love to hear from you. We would love to pray with you. Love to get you connected to what we're doing here at HCC.